0: If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I invite you to turn with me to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, we're continuing our study in the book of Acts. Uh, we've been out a few months now. Last week we kicked off this chapter by talking about the principles of persecution and how Satan always is attacking the church. And so we discussed the origin, those spiritual enemies that, that, that we have, the enemies of the church, the enemies of the Lord, the enemies of the work of the Lord, that that even... Reside sometimes within the church. And then we looked at the outcome of that of persecution and how God uses persecution supernaturally to expand his kingdom. God used persecution in the book of Acts to spread the message of, of the gospel, initially the gospel of the kingdom and then the gospel of grace later on across the world. And that, and that principle, that still happens today. All these principles still apply today because with persecution— comes an opportunity sometimes even opportunities we could never dream up or put together on our own so it's important we have the right mindset to be able to see the opportunity in the midst of persecution and that admittedly is not always easy it's it's quite difficult but but if we can if we can put on the mind of Christ in those times and be able to see the opportunities that God puts in front of us um, we, we can really be used by him and if we get that right God has promised that we can overcome Because of the work and the engagement of the Holy Spirit. So those are the principles we learned from the first 12 verses of Acts chapter 4. The principles of persecution. This morning we're going to study verses 13 through 22. And we're going to to stay in the same vein. It's the same story. It's the same narrative. And we're going to stay in the same vein of of dealing with spiritual enemies and and spiritual attack. But today we're going to learn specifically how the enemy messes with our mind. That's the title of... For today's sermon. And I've chosen that title because the verses that we're going to look at today include the council's inner workings and their response to Peter's answer of that initial question they asked him. And they asked him and John in verse 7 about how they healed the lame man. So Acts 4 7 says, And when they had set them, that's Peter and John, when they had set them in the midst, in the middle of the council, they asked, by what power or by what name have you done this? And, and when they say done this, it was the healing of the lame man. And so Peter answered them. And in his answer, he didn't hold back. He, he said unequivocally that it was through the power, name, and authority of Jesus Christ of Nazareth by which they performed the miracle healing of the lame man. The, you know, the exact same guy that you all crucified is what he said. Who God raised from the dead, that one. Jesus of Nazareth. You see Peter was specific so that there would be no confusion regarding who he was talking about and so Peter confronts them with the truth in five succinct but loaded verses in verses 8 through 12. But then starting in verse 13 where we pick up today we're going to see how these spiritual enemies process what they heard and their processing gives us some great insight into how our enemy attacks us in general. You see, we get let in on their thoughts, and then we see how those thoughts turn to actions. and And make no mistake about it. We went through this last week, but but but, but these are spiritual enemies that certainly Peter and John were dealing with, and there are spiritual enemies that we deal with as well. And we talked about this briefly last week, and we're but we're going to see in verse fifteen that they are called a council, and. And I'm not going to take a ton of time to, to, to dive into that. But what I, what I want you to know is that every time you see, with maybe one minor exception, but every time you see the word counsel in the Bible, it's in a negative context. So that word is used 15 times within the book of Acts specifically. And every one of those times, the council is a spiritual enemy to the spread of the gospel every single time. And so they're not good councils are not good. You see that in church history as well. Uh, when, you, when you hear about, in, in, in church writings, historical writings, Council of Nicaea, the different, councils. And, and many times they're written and painted in a positive light. They're not. Councils uh, are always against the Lord. We see that in the Bible. We see that in church history. And so, and, then, and they fight against God's agenda. So, so we see the council here in this passage. And we can learn from this passage a lot related to spiritual warfare. And that's important because the Bible tells us that we shouldn't be ignorant of how Satan thinks and how he subtly works in our minds. 2 Corinthians 2.11, it's an interesting verse. It says, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. And And that word devices is an interesting word. And, and we think of it many times as, as, you know, how he works, his outward workings. And it's interesting because the word for devices is found six times in the Bible. This is the only time it's translated this way. But four of the other five times is translated mind. And the other time is translated thought. So, so I put this next sentence on your outline sheet, but, but here's the thing. We shouldn't only be ignorant of how Satan works. We, we certainly shouldn't be. We need to know how he works. But it's not only that. We also should not be ignorant of how Satan thinks, how his mind works, because how he thinks shows us how he is going to try to work in our minds, and that's what makes this passage so important. This, is, this, is, this whole, Acts chapter 3 and Acts chapter 4 are critical. They're critical in, in how God works in church history and sort of a transition um, as the Rulers of Israel were, 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 you know, really moved away. They were deemed ignorant and they had another chance, but but now they're not. And, and this passage here in particular is important because we get to see our enemy's mind exactly how he thinks through the counsel of the Sadducees and the priests and the elders, those rulers of Israel. So this is a very unique passage in Scripture, and we can't miss the uniqueness because the uniqueness is part of the importance, and I'm going to explain all that for you here in a minute. But let's look at it together. Acts chapter 4, uh, we're reading verses 13 through 22. The Bible says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled. And they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. And beholding the man which was healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For that indeed a notable miracle hath been done by them is manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But that it spread no further among the people, let us straightly threaten them that they speak henceforth to, to no man in his name. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing how they might punish them because of the people. For all men glorify God for that which was done. For the man was above 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing was showed. All right, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the time that we have together. Lord, I pray that you use it in our lives today. It's a This is an interesting passage. I pray that, that your Holy Spirit speaks clearly moves me aside and It speaks clearly through me, and Lord, I pray that everything that is said is true to your word, and and you're honored and glorified through all of it. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so this morning, again, we're we're talking about how the enemy thinks, and that we need to be aware of his mind, because because how he thinks is how he wants us to think. And this is so important, because of 2 Corinthians 2.11, the way that verse is written, that we're not ignorant of his devices, the way that verse is written... It assumes that we won't be ignorant. It doesn't say, okay, work real hard at it. You shouldn't be. No, it says we are not ignorant of his devices. But, but that's a very interesting concept now, isn't it? Because how can we really ever know what someone else thinks, let alone the devil? I mean, is that actually possible? And the answer in our daily life with each other Maybe no. I can never truly know what you think because I cannot get into your brain. I can believe what you say or not believe what you say. I can make assumptions based upon what you say. I can make assumptions based upon your actions, what you've told other people. But honestly, I can never, ever really know for sure what you're thinking. And you can't really ever know for sure what I'm thinking. And that's probably a good thing. If you knew what I was thinking all the time, you probably wouldn't waste your time listening to me preach. And if I knew what you were thinking all the time, I probably wouldn't waste my time preaching to you. <laughs> so to me, this is an interesting concept that I want to talk about today. But, but but listen, this is just an interesting book. It's a very interesting book. And while I may not know 100% for sure what you're thinking I absolutely can know what this council was thinking, and so can you, because the Holy Spirit tells us. You see, the last sentence right there, that is why I said this is a very unique and an important passage, because through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we are let in on something that we normally couldn't know. See, in verse 13, the Holy Spirit tells us what these guys perceived what they took knowledge of or what they thought. And now look at verses 15 and 16 again real quick. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, when they had commanded Peter and John, they had brought them into the midst. Now they're sending them out. Look at what it says. The council they conferred among themselves, saying, what shall we do to these men? And, and, the, and it goes on from there. So you, do, you, do you see what's going on here? Through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we get to be a fly on the wall in the council's internal meeting. I mean, do you think they let Luke, the author of the book of Acts, into their huddle? Do you think they did that? Of course they didn't. Did he somehow, like, sneak a listen? Did he, you know, go around the corner? And I can't imagine that would have been possible. But do you know who hears everything? The Lord does. And he saw fit to give that information to Luke so that we can have it. So that we can know exactly how the enemy thinks. So that we are not ignorant of his devices. You see, if we know how he thinks and how he tries to get us to think, then we can actually anticipate the attacks. And when we can anticipate the attacks, we can be prepared. We don't have to guess. We can know. So this passage is vitally important to understand. Because we need the right mind. We can't be seduced into the enemy's thinking, or we lose the spiritual battle. And of course that's his goal, 2 Corinthians 11.3. Paul said, but I fear lest by any means, the serpent, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. That's why we need to be sober-minded and guard our minds. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 10.5 that we need to consistently be casting down imaginations. And every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God. And bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So with that in mind, let's learn how our enemy thinks. And more importantly, how he wants us to think. And here's where it starts. It starts with misunderstood relevance. Misunderstood relevance And we see this misunderstood relevance in verse 13. And I've told you before, this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible because I can see me in it. And I take a great encouragement from that. But look at verse 13 again. It's now now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled. And they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. You see, the members of this council that were trying Peter and John in this, you know, mini sham trial, so to speak, They misunderstood what was important and what was relevant to being used by the Lord. They thought the rabbinical school that you went to made the difference. They thought that the rabbi you studied under made the difference. They thought it was the family that you were born into that made the difference. They thought it was the outward power that you held that made the difference. But it turns out none of that is important to the Lord. Because Peter and John didn't have any of that. And the council marveled. They were in awe that unlearned and ignorant men were able to do what they did. And, and ignorant just means uninformed, by the way. It doesn't mean stupid. But, but they were unlearned and ignorant in everything that these guys thought was important. So how could they be the ones that are performing miracles. They hadn't been to any official rabbinical school, let alone the right one. They were fishermen. They were common men. But listen, they were in good company because these were the same critical marks that were lo- remarks that were lobbed at Jesus as well. In John chapter seven, look at verses fourteen and fifteen. It Says now about the midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. And the Jews, what? They marveled, saying, How knoweth this man letters, having never learned? You see, it's the exact same response that they had with Jesus, that with Peter and John. They marveled, they couldn't understand it because they don't know how to think biblically. I mean, Jesus was nothing special. He came from Nazareth of Galilee. He sure didn't have the right pedigree. John chapter 1, verses 45 and 46. Philip findeth Nathanael and saith unto him, We found him, of whom Moses is in the law, and the prophets did right, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And look at, listen to Nathanael's response. And Nathanael said unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said, Come and see. In John 7, 52, they answered and said unto him, Art thou also of Galilee, speaking of Jesus? Search and look, for out of Galilee ariseth no prophet. So like I said, at least Peter and John were in good company. But, but stay with me because, because here's the point. The enemy does not really understand what is important when it comes to being used by God. And they want you and they want me to think like them. And this plays out in many ways. The obvious one in sort of the direct context here would be biblical training. And we, we talk about that a lot and the importance of true biblical training and, you know, whether you go to a Bible college or trained by, you know, the local church as, as God designed. And, that, and that's one area. But listen, it goes well beyond that. And it covers many areas of life and, and many areas that the enemy thinks are or they, the enemy wants us to think are important that actually aren't important to the Lord. And when we do think with the mind of the enemy, here's the result. And this is always the enemy's goal. The result of misunderstood relevance is shame. It's just a feeling of unworthiness that becomes paralyzing. So we aren't profitable to the work of the Lord. And we think, well, what can I do? I'm a nobody. I didn't go to Bible college. I didn't do this. I didn't do that. I, didn't, I wasn't born in the right family. I don't know anything. But listen, dwelling on your unworthiness just negates God's grace. So don't do that. That is not how God works. Let me show you how God works, because Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 27-29, through 29, it says, But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. Then the base things of the world and the things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and the things which are not, to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, Paul says, For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. You see, God chooses to work through what the world considers foolish things and weak things and base things and despise things. And earthen vessels, and he always has. Listen to Amos' testimony, Amos chapter seven, verses 14 and 15. Then it answered Amos and said unto Amaziah, "I was no prophet, neither was I a prophet's son, but I was an herdman and a gatherer of sycamore fruit. And the Lord took me as I followed the flock, and the Lord said unto me, "Go prophesy unto my people of Israel." You see, in the world's eyes, those base and foolish things aren't special. And the Amoses of the world aren't special. And Jesus of Nazareth wasn't special. But God is not looking for the worldly definition of special. So don't fall into the trap of the world's way of thinking. That is just the mind of the enemy. And we need to put on Christ's mind. And the mind of Christ says God wants the world to be able to see that he is special. Because he wants to receive the glory. And he should want that. He deserves all of it. So he works through the humble. And those that are humble and yet still confident in the Lord. Those that are willing to forego personal glory, but still be about the mission. And go about it the right way so that God gets the glory that he deserves. I mean James 4.6, but he giveth more grace. Wherefore he said, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace. Under the humble. So do away with the shame and misunderstood relevance of what is actually important to the Lord. And do you know how you do that? And and you do it and also keep your pride in check at the other end of the spectrum at the same time? Well, here's the answer. And we see it in Acts 4.13. It's, It's super simple. The answer to misunderstood relevance is to be with the Lord. You see, even the enemies of Peter and John knew the answer down deep. They they perceived that, that they had been with Jesus. Now, they couldn't put it all together, but they knew there was something different with these guys, and they took knowledge of them, that they had been with Jesus. And Peter and John had spent a lot of time with Jesus over the past three and a half years, but maybe none more important than the 40 days between his resurrection and ascension. When he opened their eyes to the scriptures of the Old Testament, how they all pointed to him. We've talked about that before in Luke 24. And listen, spending time with Jesus always makes a difference. His doctrine, his teaching was and is different. Matthew chapter 7, verses 28 and 29 says, And it came to pass, when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine. They marveled again. They were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one having authority, and not as the scribes. And listen, the preserved word of God that we hold in our hands today is different as well. And it is absolutely authoritative. We talk about the need for biblical authority around here a lot. And it is, it is biblically authoritative. It is biblically sufficient. It's all of that. Just like Jesus. I mean, he is the word after all. And we have the authority, the written, preserved authority of God in our hands that we just have to live by. And we have to spend time in it. So being with the Lord by consistently spending time in that book is the answer. And when you do that, it will give you the boldness you need to serve the Lord and yet the humility you need to be able to glorify him. And, and you will still have the boldness, the confidence, the confidence. You'll understand that his strength is made perfect in your weakness. and That's the mark of someone who's truly been with Jesus and someone who loves Jesus. You see, that's the key because you can learn the Bible in your head. You can learn the Bible without loving Jesus, but you'll never glorify him that way if you're just doing it for unrighteous reasons. The Bible says that knowledge puffs up, but being with Jesus is different. And that's always been his desire just to be with us. All the way back to Adam and Eve to walk with them in the garden. That's what he wanted from Moses. In Exodus 24, it says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Come up to me in the mount and be there, and I'll give thee tables of stone and a law. And and that verse, I, I use it a lot. I use it a lot in my life. But listen, coming up to the mount and being there, those are two different commands. Because they're two different things. And that principle is true all across the board. It's very possible that we are physically present in our homes, but we're not really there. Not with our family. And it's possible to read and study the Bible, but not really be there. Not with the Lord. And that makes all the difference in the world. It is the answer. Be with Jesus. Because when you are, you will be changed by him. So don't fall for the enemy's lie and misunderstand what is really important and relevant to glorifying the Lord. But there's a second lie of enemy thinking that we need to be aware of, and and that is misguided reluctance. Misguided reluctance. You see, the enemy wants us to be reluctant to speak about Jesus. And when we fall into that trap, we are absolutely misguided. And faulty in our approach to serving Jesus. Look at verse 14. And beholding the man which was healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For that indeed a notable miracle hath been done by them is manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it but that it has spread no further among the people, let us straightly threaten them that they speak his forth to no man in his name. These are some of their secret thoughts here that we get let in on. But, and what we find is the council's in a tough spot. They'd like to deny what happened, but they admit within themselves that this was a notable miracle. And this is another place we don't really have time to dig into, um, but that phrase, notable miracle, gets to the importance of this healing event. I've, been, I've talked about that a lot. But even though they would like to deny it, they can't. And they know it. I mean, the dude is standing there in front of them. I mean, He couldn't walk 24 hours earlier, and yet here he is. He's still standing. So here's how the enemy thinks. They think, okay, we can't really deny that the, that the Lord is real and that he is at work in this world and that he undoubtedly changes people's lives. We can't deny any of that. But what we can do is get his followers to not talk about it. And when we think like the enemy thinks, here is the result. The result of misguided reluctance is silence. And listen, that is the exact opposite of the mission. The apostles were to be witnesses, and a witness speaks what they saw and heard, and they experienced themselves. And that's exactly what we are to do as well. Paul said he would just as soon die than not be able to talk about the good news of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 9 verse 16 says, For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me, yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. Now, those are strong words, but that was Paul's heart and that was his desire. And even more, that, more than that, it was his prayer. In Colossians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, he says, With all praying also for us, that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Because that is the mission. We are to go and teach and make disciples, and we cannot be successful in that mission without speaking. So speak, even if you have to speak through sign language. If you are silent as a Christian, you are a failure. I love you, but I don't know how else to say it. It is just the truth, and it's a truth that describes so many Christians today. Christians who know the mission, who know what is at stake, For those who do not accept Christ, and yet they remain silent. The fact is, few Christians today feel the way Paul felt. It amazes me when I I compare what I am studying currently in Acts versus the reality of Christianity that I see today. Because while the early church had to be commanded to be quiet, we have to be commanded to speak. They had to be commanded to shut up. That's not our problem. We have to be commanded to speak. And they faced intense physical persecution we do not. Seems things have been flipped on their head. This is an area that appears the enemy has a leg up. He's been successful in making us reluctant to speak about Christ, no matter how misguided that might be. How many today can say with Paul, for I'm not ashamed? of the gospel of Christ, for it is undoubtedly the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And obviously Peter wasn't ashamed of Christ either, but listen, here's the good news. For those of of you that, that, that might fall into this trap, here's the good news. That wasn't always the case with Peter. Peter wasn't always bold for Christ. I I think that's a misconception about Peter, that he was always bold in his speech and his actions. No, he was impetuous. He acted without thinking, but that doesn't necessarily make him bold. In fact, when he denied Christ, it wasn't to the rulers of Israel that could have thrown him in jail. It was to servants. And not only that, but female servants who in that culture weren't looked upon with much dignity, In Matthew chapter 26, verses 69 through 72, pay attention to who Peter is denying Christ in front of. Now Peter sat without in the palace, and a damsel came unto him, saying, Thou also was with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied before them all, saying, I know not what thou sayest. And when he was gone out of the porch, another maid saw him and said unto him that were there, This fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied with an oath, I do not know the man. That, that's not a description of a bold man. And yet something in Peter changed. And we've already talked about what it was. He had been with Jesus. And now I believe, I talked about this, I believe it goes back to Peter's conversion in John chapter 21 when Jesus asked him those three times, love us, thou me more than these. We talked about that a few weeks ago. But the point is, whenever it happened, the point is Peter was a different man in the book of Acts than he was in the Gospels. And he would not be silenced. And neither would any of the apostles. In in verse 20 of Acts chapter 4, Peter says, For we cannot but speak the things which we've seen and heard. Because that's what a witness does. And that stance continued even as the persecution ramped up. We'll see this in more detail in a few weeks, but here is Peter's response in Acts 5.29 to the same command. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. And that brings us to the answer to this way of flawed thinking, and it's just this simple. The answer to misguided reluctance is to obey the Lord. That's it. It's just obey. We've been commanded to speak. So just be obedient. It's, It's just that simple. That's what the apostles boiled it down to. We ought to obey God rather than men. And for us today in America, at least so far, for now, we'll see it might change, but for now it's even easier because we don't have to disobey man. We just have to obey God. We just need to do what he says. Choose that life and don't be reluctant to share what you've been given. And when Jesus was sending out his disciples first there in Matthew chapter 10, listen to what he told them in verse 8. He tells them, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out the devils, freely you have received, freely give. And we too have been sent out. If you have any questions about that, see Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, Acts 1, 8, on and on. Now, it's a different sending, of course. It's a different dispensation. So we are not sent to heal the sick and cleanse the leper and raise the dead and cast out the devils. But we sure are to freely give what we have freely received. And what have we freely received? We have freely received God's grace and we have freely received God's word. So let's give that away every chance we get. Let's not be silent in that endeavor. But there's one more tactic of the enemy's thinking that we need to understand because the enemy thinks they can shut us up through misplaced reverence. Misplaced reverence. You see, our spiritual enemies want us to fear them instead of fearing the Lord. They'll even use dirty tricks to try to accomplish that goal. Look at verse 18. So they had their secret meeting. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus But uh, Peter's response is great. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than God judge ye. You guys judge. you tell me you're telling us to do something, to to not do something that God's telling us to do. Who do you think we should obey? You or God? You, You can judge. In verse 20, For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go. Finding how they might pu- finding no- finding nothing how they might punish them, because of the people, for all men glorified God for that which was done. For the man was above forty years old on whom this miracle of healing was showed. So the council commanded Peter and John to not speak, and then they threatened them. And so they were using fear tactics to try to stop the work of the Lord. And that's absolutely how the enemy thinks, and how they have attacked God's people throughout history. And the enemy thinks that way because it works, even today. Because at its core, it's the same for us today as well. Now, it's, we talked about this last week. It's different because, you know, maybe today we're not going to get thrown in prison, so the persecution is different today. But the goal is the same. And the threat is still there. And it boils down to fear of man over fear of God. So for us today, maybe it's the kind of fear that, that hits you in the area of status or acceptance or pride or makes you fearful of losing your rep- reputation or your position in the community. I think Christians today are susceptible to, to depreciating their testimony or backing off of naming Christ as they ought to because of the fear that somebody might not like them or the fear of being ostracized from their circle of friends. Or the fear of being fired from their job. Or the fear of being shut out of a community of people that they'd like to be a part of. Or the fear of being ignored. ignored, Or the fear of just being thought of as, you know, that you're just weird. You name it. That's all still the fear of man. And I think we all fall prey to the temptations and the persecutions in the area of ego and acceptance and pride more than anything else. Me included. So the result of misplaced reverence is being scared. It's being scared. It's it's fear. Scared of all the things we just talked about. But the Bible's very clear about this type of fear. Proverbs 29, 25 says, The fear of man bringeth a snare, but whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. And for the lost man, that snare is a noose that can lead to eternal death if they're not careful. Because Proverbs 14, 27 says, The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to depart from the snares of death. And if you fear man to the point that you don't accept Christ, that snare is an eternal one. Jesus said the exact same thing, Matthew ten twenty-eight: Fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. You know, Luke says it also in Luke chapter 12, verses 4 and 5. You can read that on your own. And now for us today, in this dispensation, we have eternal security. Praise the Lord. So if you are saved, you cannot lose that salvation. But you can lose a lot of other stuff. You can lose rewards. You can lose joy and peace. And listen, you can lose your right mind. All when you misplace the reverence that God deserves and you give it to man who doesn't deserve it. And so the model to follow is Peter and John here in Acts 4. Was the Peter, It was the model of Jesus. They were speaking what they had seen and heard, just as Jesus told them to do. They were just being obedient to the mission of God. So they displayed the answer of this tactic of the enemy. And the answer, it's it's so simple. You already know it. The answer to misplaced reverence is quite simply to fear the Lord. Because if you're fearing man, you've, you've put it in the wrong place. You've misplaced it, the reverence that God deserves. So fear the Lord. Don't fear man. And listen. The Lord is the one that we're going to face at, at, at judgment. Not those friends. Not your boss. And that judgment is described as the terror of the Lord in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 10 and 11. And for every Christian, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he had done, whether it be good or bad, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. We persuade men. We are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are are made manifest in your conscience. So I don't know. I mean, it it seems like the decision is fairly easy. It just depends on how much you believe it, I guess. So so let me ask you when it comes to who and what you are fearing, are you making wise choices? And if not, if you're not making wise choices, do you know what you should do? You should fear the Lord. Because fearing the Lord produces wisdom. And, and, and wisdom will beget wisdom. It sounds like that's what you need. Job twenty-eight twenty-eight says, And unto the man he said, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to depart from evil is understanding. Psalm 111, verse 10, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all they that do his commandments. His praise endureth forever. Proverbs 9, 10, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The knowledge of the holy is understanding. And we could go on and on about the importance of, of fearing the Lord. It's key to fulfilling the mission God has given us. But obviously, the enemy knows that. And so he's thinking through strategies to stop it all the time. So we need to know how the enemy thinks. And we know because, because if we know how the enemy thinks, we, we know how he's going to try to get us to think. But here's the irony. In all of it, every single thing that these spiritual enemies tried to project onto Peter and John, in all actuality, they were true of them. Because they certainly misunderstood what was relevant, because they missed Christ. And even though they accused Peter and John of being ignorant in Acts 4.13, Peter was very clear in chapter 3 that they were, in fact... The ignorant ones. Speaking of crucifying Jesus, Peter told them in Acts 3.17, And now, brethren, I, want, I know that through ignorance you did it, as did also your rulers. And we talked about that already in some great detail. But the truth is the council, they were the ignorant ones. Not Peter and John. They didn't understand what was important. They They missed Christ. Because they didn't understand how God works. And and not only that, they were the ones that were silenced also. They wanted to make Peter and John reluctant to speak about Jesus. But that didn't work. But you know what did work? The miracle of the Lord healing the lame man. It made them, it silenced them. Acts 4.14, And beholding the man which was healed standing with them, they could say what? They could say nothing against it. They were silenced. And listen, what a beautiful thing that is. Because what you need to understand is the truth of God's word always has that ability. When Paul told Titus to be diligent to preaching God's word, and to set in order the things there in Crete, one of the reasons why was to silence the spiritual enemies. In Titus chapter one verses 10 and 11 it says, "For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. And we don't have the ability to do that on our own, but God's word does. We just have to obey it and be faithful to speak it, and when we do, they will be silenced. And we don't have to be scared. Because even though the council tried to scare, they tried to threaten Peter and John, in all actuality, they were the ones who were scared. Look at verse 21. So whether they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing how they might punish them because of the people. For all men glorified God that which was done. They let him go because they were scared of what the people would do if they didn't. Because the people, all the men glorified God for, for what had happened. And now they're, they've, been, they've taken Peter and John and put them in prison overnight. And then they're having this sort of sham trial the next day. And they talk within themselves and they want to be able to deny it, deny it but they can't. The man is standing right there with them, standing. And they're like, well, man, we, we don't want to let him go. But if we don't, what are the people going to do to us? They were scared. It turns out they were the ones who were ignorant, silent, and afraid. Not Peter and John. So the enemy's line of thinking didn't work and it does not have to work on you either. It doesn't have to work on me either. But we do have to trust the Lord and be obedient to his word. It has to mean something to us. It has to be more important to us than the things of this world. But when it is, We can absolutely be victorious. So let's choose that route and quit falling for misunderstood relevance, misguided reluctance, and misplaced reverence. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed. And again, as always, as you're just settling your heart, I just ask that you be open to the Lord speaking to you. And and if the Lord is speaking to you, if you've never... Come to a saving knowledge of Christ, and he's speaking to you in that way. Why don't you get saved today? Why don't you place your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ? If you have questions about that, if you don't know what that means, if you don't understand it, but, but you're not sure, if you were to die today, you're not sure where you would spend eternity, come talk to us. I'll be right here in the front row. We'll, someone, we'll, we'll hook you up with someone who can open a Bible and not give you a man's opinion, but show you from God's word how it is and how you can be saved. And if you are saved but but you're not living for the Lord and and maybe you're reluctant to speak or 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 maybe you have misunderstood what's really important to the Lord or or maybe you've misplaced your fear and you fear man more than you fear the Lord if you have to get that right once you get it right with him today and come up to this altar you can pray there in your pew but just pray to the Lord and ask repent ask ask him to 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 begin to to work in your life again And take the steps necessary to do that.